This episode of Today on Broadway is supported by Heartbeat Opera. If you're a fan of Shakespeare, opera, or drag queens, or all of the above, then you don't want to miss the Heartbeat Opera's upcoming show. The indie opera company called Bold and Vivid by the New York Times returns for their annual Halloween drag extravaganza. This year's theme, All the World's a Drag, Shakespeare in Love with Opera. Join Heartbeat Opera for a fun night of eye-popping Elizabethan fashion, dazzling musical performances, and Halloween revelries. The show returns for just two nights, October 30th and 31st, at the National Sawdust in Brooklyn. Tickets on sale now at heartbeatopera.org. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James... Two weeks from today, I will be flying into the greatest city in the world. I've got a a full busy week planned, but nothing is as exciting as getting to have dinner with you and your wife. I I figure we've been talking almost every day for, oh heck, a a year and a half at least, and now we're finally going to meet in person. Now, considering that Ohio State and Penn State play this week, uh, maybe we'll have to have a little wager payoff then, but we'll, we'll table that for now. But I'm two weeks away from being in New York and, uh, and, and finally getting for us to finally meet in person. You know, uh, it's, it, it, you know, I'm afraid there's nothing but a letdown, you know? <laughs> oh, I guarantee it. Both of us, <laughs> both ways. We're both going to be let down. Oh, boy. Uh, but... You know, I know that you're pulling strings over at ESPN because ESPN has uh, has Ohio State uh, 75-25 over uh, Penn State this weekend. But it's Vegas. Vegas is, you know, they make money on getting these things right. They've got Ohio State as a seven-point favorite. I would have put it closer to 17, but what do I know? <gasps> 17. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, man. We better get on to the news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. First up in the news, UK theaters release a joint statement on the abuse of power. Yeah, James, uh, led by the National Theatre, a group of 22 of the UK's most venerable theatre companies issued a joint statement yesterday in, in reaction to the recent allegations of sexual harassment and assault against powerful mem- members of the entertainment industry, both in Hollywood and New York and in the UK. The statement reads, quote, following the, the reports and allegations of the last two weeks, first in America and more recently closer to home, we have come together to make clear that there can be no place for sexual harassment or abuse of power in our industry. We salute the bravery of everyone who calls out this abusive behavior. We support a theater culture that empowers people to speak up, a culture where abuse of power is always challenged. We are committed to working together to ensure that theater is a safe place for all where everyone is respected and listened to. The Royal Court Theatre's Day of Action on Saturday, October 28th, is one important part of this process. Together, we are developing further ways to support people to speak up and to hold others to account. It is the responsibility of the industry to create and nurture a culture where unacceptable behavior is swiftly challenged and addressed. We want to be absolutely clear and say again, there is no room for sexual harassment or abuse of power in the theater. Everyone deserves to enjoy a happy, healthy, and safe working environment. We will support you to speak out, and we will hear you when you do. James, this comes on the heels of word that the previously announced Broadway revival of Singing in the Rain, which was to star Derek Huff and would be produced by Harvey Weinstein, has officially been shelved. Another one of the many dominoes to fall following the 
mind-boggling reporting that has come out about the Weinstein Company in recent weeks. Now, this statement by the UK Theatre Companies, in my opinion, James, is really important. I know our friends over at The Interval have been asking whether or not U.S. theater companies have done anything similar to this. They've been actually seeing this actually even before this U.K. statement came out, whether any companies have done something either individually or collectively. But as far as I know, I, I, I haven't seen any major New York companies put out a statement anywhere approaching this, if at all. Uh, but hopefully the example of our friends across the pond will lead to a sign of solidarity here in the States as well, because while words are one thing and, you know, they only go so far, uh, they are the first step to making substantive and actual changes and addressing issues that clearly need to be addressed that have been overlooked and ignored for far too long. Uh, I think that it's not a, not a theater company, but Equity put out a very strong statement last week, didn't they? Sure. Uh, yes. Yes, they did. Uh, which I, you know, you and I had differing schedules last week. I don't know if we covered it on today on Broadway, but the equity, I did not. The equity statement uh, was very strong, and equity is much much stronger here in the in the U.S. than it is in the U.K. Uh, and I would hope that the theaters would fall fall in line in support of these statements as well, just as what you're saying. Uh, I'm thinking of the large, major, uh, major uh, regional theaters and lort and festivals and and major companies out there uh, that I I couldn't imagine. I I wonder if they feel like it would be redundant for them to say something like that, but I think it it strengthens everybody's resolve Mm -hmm. if we publicly uh, stand up against these type of uh, actions that have happened. I mean, you and I talked about it when uh, the evening that uh, Harvey was fired, Mm -hmm. we talked about it uh, briefly. We haven't seen much of it on the United States side insofar as theater. There was a, it was a very clickbaity article in, in one of the theatrical websites that I was kind of side eyeing because I wasn't very happy with what, I don't know if you had seen that as well, but, um, I tend to avoid that site in general. Yeah. So I, I saw the headline, but I didn't read it. So it very well could have been a very well written article, but generally, no, it was the things on. Okay, <laughs> I was just say generally the things on that site are very thinly reported and mostly just conjecture, masquerading as uh, as fact, and generally end up being proven wrong. So I just avoid it no matter what. It was very clickbaity and things like that uh, of a story that. Everybody knows that's in the theatrical community, and uh, and I just felt like they were they weren't really concerned with the issue; they were concerned with getting clicks, you know. And uh, sounds about right. Yeah. All right, let's get on to last week's uh, Broadway grosses. All right. Overall, it was. Business as usual on the boards last week, 13 of the returning 28 shows on Broadway saw week-to-week gains, while 15 obviously then saw declines. Uh, The one new show from last week, Latin History for Morons, came in pretty strong as well. We'll get to that in just a second. Broadway as a whole was up 2.35% week to week to come in at $30,630,792. The aforementioned uh, John Leguizamo one-man show grossed an impressive $312,337 in just its first three performance uh, performances. That's 
you know, for a one man show, that's uh, pretty good, James, I, I think um, that put it at second in terms of the biggest black number of the week, obviously, with the first week caveat notwithstanding. It followed only Springsteen on Broadway, which, after all of the opening week comps, bounced back a Big time to two million three hundred seventy six thousand three hundred seventy dollars, an increase of more than four hundred fifty one thousand five hundred bucks. That total, again in just five performances, was good for overall or for third overall in the week, behind Hamilton at two point nine two million and Hello Dolly at two point four million. Rounding out the top five were The Lion King at two point oh four and Wicked at one point seven. Also above one million in descending order were Dear Evan Hansen, Aladdin, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, and The Phantom of the Opera. Both Beautiful and Anastasia were less than $50,000 from joining the Seven Figures Club as well. Following those two shows that were just on the outside looking in, there was a pair of of shows that really are kind of defying the odds to do solid numbers, um, but they're defying the odds in two different ways. First, there's Kinky Boots, which came in at 897000 which has been... On Broadway for a few years, it's seen ups and downs, but now with its original stars, Stark, Sands, and Billy Porter back in the show, it's doing pretty well and holding steady. The other show is The Band's Visit, which is still in previews for another couple weeks, and it came in at $872,163. Now, James, I would imagine that once the reviews for this one come in, that will only increase the demand for this show. It's currently at about 99 or 100% capacity every week, so... It's not like they can fit that many more people in, but I would imagine they'd start to discontinue any discounts they have out there. And then once a second block of tickets are released, we'll see those prices raise up to get it north of seven figures on a regular basis, a la come from away. Now, James, what was most interesting to me about this week's grosses is that the bottom grossing 10 shows of those bottom uh, 10 shows Eight of them actually saw week-to-week gains last week. Now, granted, that does include Latin history for morons in just three performances, but it still fits in there. But only Prince of Broadway in Chicago actually saw week-to-week declines, and the former's was only $5,032. And for, for that matter, Chicago's was only $55,000, and it's still above $625K. Uh, So pretty good for the shows that needed a boost as well, including in there was the play that goes wrong. And it did see a pretty good increase, too. It was it is now just under four hundred fifteen thousand dollars, which is its highest total since the third week of April and its fourth highest total in its complete seven and a half months on Broadway. Overall, James. It's a pretty healthy week on the Great White Way. Despite having two fewer shows, the main stem is up 11.62% or $3,200,000 compared to this week last year. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with the raising ticket prices, but still, overall, a positive sign. Now, um, we did have some really good weather here in the last week or so. So good I, to know. I, I wonder if that helped a little bit. But also, the Bruce Springsteen thing is such an anomaly um i mean uh i wonder which other bands are going to look at this and say what's next i'm very surprised that we haven't seen you two do a broadway performance yet but uh i I wonder who's going to be next if you had your druthers who who would play who man um i i man i i really find it very hard to think of very many rock acts that would 
draw the same kind of interest as Bruce Springsteen. I honestly don't think you two would. Um, Springsteen brought in 500 or uh, it was an average ticket price of $502 last week. Um, I don't know how many people can draw that, but um, I, I don't know. Would, would someone like, um, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe a, a Fleetwood Mac revival bring in something like that or, or, or return or the, uh, I don't know, Bob Dylan or something. I, I don't know. I, James, I honestly don't know if there are many people who can compete with Springsteen in something like this. There's obviously all the acts that have the residencies in Vegas, which is not apples to apples, but it's kind of maybe apples to something similar to an apple. I don't know. Um, but they're, you know, then they do really well. The people are like Celine Dion, maybe Garth Brooks would do really well. He's done the Vegas thing too. Um, I don't, I don't think Britney Spears who has a residency in Vegas would do very well in this, but maybe Celine, obviously someone like Barbara, but none of those acts are really rock acts. I I don't know, James, I, 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 I really would find it hard to say anybody could do what Springsteen is doing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think about, uh, you know, Billy Joel's been – he's got his residency over sure. at Madison Square Garden, so just a couple of blocks away, and he's been doing it for a while. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, there's always been the rumors of Pink Floyd coming to Broadway to do The Wall. Oh, that uh, would be cool. That would, and, that would be very good. And uh, if ABBA were to come, you know, <laughs> the Mamma Mia thing seems to have done pretty well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but what's interesting about those, James, are you mentioned Billy Joel, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, Pink Floyd, and you mentioned ABBA. Two of those three have had Broadway shows based off of their music. You had um, – Oh, not come from away. Was it come away? What was the Billy Joel show? The Twyla Tharp dance thing. I don't remember what it was oh, called. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. I'm totally blank. <laughs> moving out. It was moving out. Moving out. Yeah. I'm thinking of the, the Frank Sinatra Twyla Tharp show. But you had that. You have ABBA. You know, so, I mean, these are these are people who are familiar to Broadway audiences. So, I, I don't know. Pink Floyd could be cool as long as they play um, a video of The Wizard of Oz at the same time as they're doing The Wall. <laughs> Excellent reference. All right. Uh, what's up in the show and casting news? Well, James, yesterday we talked about the reviews for this show and maybe the possibility of it extending and or transferring. And then later in the day, Second Stage announced that Torch Song will extend one last time off Broadway. It will now play through December 9th. The company said that the show will not extend any further, but... Didn't say anything about transferring. The play, written by Harvey Firestein and directed by Moises Kaufman, stars Michael Yuri and Mercedes Rule. And I believe, James, you, uh, Peter, and Michael will be talking about the show on This Week on Broadway on Sunday. So if you want to hear more about it, either listen to what we said yesterday or pay attention on Sunday. In other news, yesterday it was also announced exactly six months before the show begins performances on Broadway that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will open at Melbourne's Princess Theatre in Australia in early 2019. Performance dates and ticketing details will be announced soon, of course, as producers are wont to do. They also announced that you can visit harrypottertheplay.com to sign up for the mailing list to receive ticketing information and news, in addition to eventually being told that you are not verified enough to actually see the show. And finally, in this section, um, there is news of a slightly different type of show. As on Monday, the Drama League announced some of the stars that are slated to perform and honor Steve Martin at this year's Benefit Gala. The event will take place on Monday, November 6th, and will feature the legendary Carol Kane, Ed Helms, Kermit the Frog, 
<laughs> That's just funny to me. Alex Brightman, Leah Delaria, Jennifer Samard, Lauren Warsham, in addition to other guests still to be announced. The event will take place at the Plaza. Fancy. And there'll be an auction. And the tickets are so expensive that you actually have to call them just to get details on how to order tickets. <laughs> it's big time there, James. <sighs> Yeah, the Harry Potter in Australia thing, you know, uh, is lots of lots of dingoes going to sign up for that. As long as a dingo doesn't eat my baby, I'm fine. <laughs> All right, uh, Roundabout announces the 2017-2018 artists in residence. Yeah, James, uh, RTC yesterday announced the artists who they're going to be working with in resident in residence for the next year, and I'm going to go through some of them, not all of them. But it includes two well-known directors, Anne Kaufman and Rebecca Tashman. Alex Lubisher will be the playwright in residence. And the Fiasco Theater Company is, again, RTC's company in residence. Amongst other residencies are the company's associate artists, including some roundabout regulars like Sam Gold, Joshua Harmon, Doug Hughes, Bill Irwin, Pam McKinnon, Joe Mantello, Kathleen Marshall, Teresa Rebeck, and Jenny Rachel Wiener. We will have a full residence art, resident artists list in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com if you want to see all of them. But James, looking through those uh, associate artists list there, seems to me that there's a few people who've worked on musicals before. So maybe it would be nice if RTC actually put a musical in their schedule for uh, sometime in this 2017-2018 artist in residence season. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're going to come back with a vengeance. They're going to have a Tamanini season where it's all musicals saying, all the time. I'm not a I'm not a subscriber. I'm just worried about the subscribers because some of these plays get middling reviews, don't really get great box offices, and what's to keep a subscriber subscribing? I will note that Kathleen Marshall is one of the associate artists, and we do know that a production of her directed Crazy for You is supposed to be happening sometime in early 2018 out in Los Angeles. Who knows if that will be somehow brought to New York as part of RTC's season, either on the back end of the 2017-2018 season or in the 2018-2019 season. I'm not saying I have any inside information on that, but putting one in one together might equal crazy for you. <laughs> All right. So Renee Zellweger to now, play. We're not going to talk about this. I, I, Renee Zellweger is going to play Judy Garland. I don't have any interest in this, James. Do you? <laughs> I just don't. No. No. Okay. Not, not All really. right. All right, let's move on to something else uh, that's not in this script, <laughs> but I'm going to put – she's playing it's, – it's effectively End of the Rainbow. It's, she's basically doing a movie uh -huh. version of End of the Rainbow that's got more music in it, but it's not End of the Rainbow, whatever. Anyway, go to Deadline. They've got a story on it. Okay, so James, in Forbes – I don't know why that bothers me for some reason. I, I don't know. Anyway, um, in Forbes yesterday, Mark Hirschberg um, – has an article about a a Broadway producer in Silicon Valley entrepreneur named uh, Tim Kashani, who has started something called Theater Accelerator. He started it last winter, and he's looking to bring together the best of both the Silicon Valley entrepreneurial tech startup world and the Broadway producing show creating world. Um, James, you know much more about this stuff than I do, but basically he's kind of modeling it after something called Y Combinator. Is that Y Combinator, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, what is that? And so what is what is Tim doing? So Y Combinator is basically a 
company that has uh, put together a place for uh, entrepreneurs to start companies and grow, and they take care of things like give you some space and give you mentors and help you, you know, do the legal work and uh, get everything going and out of the way so that you can focus on developing your product. And it seems that Kashani is doing the same sort of thing here with uh, with his uh, – what's this uh, program called that he's doing? It's it's called Theater, Theater Accelerator. Theater Accelerator. Uh, and so Theater Accelerator is doing the same sort of thing. You know, it's ironic that we just talked about uh, – round about theater companies, artists in residence – I I would imagine it's something very similar to there where they give um they give uh theater accelerators going to be able to uh provide a place for folks to work and develop their product and they'll get help in you know setting up rights and and contracts and things like that and having some uh basic seed money and a place to work, maybe some rehearsal space and things like that. Uh, and, you know, Y Combinator, in return for these things, Y Combinator takes a small percentage of your business in the long run. And, you know, Y Combinator, I think, develops such little companies like, um, oh, uh, Airbnb uh, was one Air, of them. Airbnb oh, yeah. and PayPal and things like that. So, you know, if you do, you know, if you do a thousand small companies and two of them become Airbnb and, and PayPal, then, you know, it pays off in the end. And so maybe that's what Kashani's doing here as well. And he's a, uh, an accomplished Broadway producer. So it was an interesting article in, uh, Forbes and, uh, Mark Hirschberg is, uh, I, I, you know, I only know, of Mark from his writings in, in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. but he's, he's done a lot of good articles. He's done a lot of good articles in just 12. And I think about a year or so that I, I've noticed that he's been writing for Forbes. So, uh, good on him. All right. So, uh, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt and subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play. And I sincerely apologize to any diehard Renee Zellweger fans. <laughs> and my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. The human head weighs eight pounds. Uh, Matt and I'll be you back. <laughs> Matt and I'll be back on Wednesday to get you through the hump day. Talk to you then. <laughs>